Audio conversation with Yvonne Smith recorded Friday, December 14th, 2012. Now, now, if anyone has made it to this podcast and does not know who Yvonne Smith is, um, let me give her a very brief introduction here. Uh, Yvonne started as a clinical hypnotherapist in the 80s, working mostly with people suffering from PTSD. And after the publication of Communion, uh, she started looking into the UFO abduction lore. And presently, she is uh, you know, one of the more mainstream, I don't know if that's the right way to even, if that word even factors in, mainstream. I don't think you can call UFO abduction research mainstream. She is uh, one of the preeminent UFO abduction researchers. Uh, she does use hypnosis as part of her therapy, and uh, we talk about that during this, uh, this interview. For me, I have mixed emotions about hypnosis, uh, though I am certainly intrigued. Now, Yvonne worked with both Bud Hopkins and Dr. John Mack, uh, both of whom used hypnosis extensively in their research. Now, I was cautious uh, during the interview not to uh, to do the, what would be the standard intro questions. The interview is an hour long, which seems very short uh, c- compared to many of the other interviews I've been doing. So I didn't want to really waste time doing what would be the standard introduction, the kind of thing that I assume she would be somewhat bored repeating over and over again. Uh, I will direct you to uh, another interview that was done by Mel Fabregas for uh, Veritas. And I think that's a good introduction. And I just finished editing the uh, the overall audio file for, for this interview, and I have to say that I I was uh, I was pretty honest with this one. I I kind of uh, treated it as if I was a patient, and Yvonne was the therapist. Uh, so so I'm pretty open. I'm also very mumbly, more than usual. Uh, I did a little bit of editing to clean that up, and but one of the things I did not do is I didn't edit any of the uh, the stuff where I was speaking about some of the more emotional issues. That seemed a little like cheating. Um, some of the more you know mundane stuff that I was talking about, I did uh, clean up a little bit, and mostly just to shorten it. I, I, I have a way of running on and on and on and on when I ask a question. Uh, one thing that we do talk a lot about in this interview is the um, hybrid phenomena, the reports of genetically enhanced beings that seem to be at the uh, the root of the program that seems to be in place by these alien creatures. Um, she certainly would qualify as an expert on this, and, and we do we do dig into this a fair amount. This is one of the things that I'm I'm mystified by, and I don't quite know what to believe. I, I will say quite honestly, it is it is so bizarre that I am cautious to believe everything at face value. Um, I have certainly talked to enough people directly who claim to have had hybrid children, and it is, um, it's challenging to try to make sense of it. And mostly, I mean, I, I, I know the narrative. I know all the, the, the puzzle pieces of it, having read so much. The, the thing that I'm troubled with is just the fact that it's so shockingly scary on some levels that i'm i'm just i'm just cautious to truly believe it but all that said i i do pay very close attention to these reports and to people who do the research so so i was very interested to hear what yvonne had to say this interview is just a little bit shy of one hour long please enjoy 
Hey, uh, Yvonne, I just want to say thank you so much for saying yes to this interview. It means a lot to me. Oh, sure. No problem. Happy to do it. Good. Hey, we met um, uh, and spent some time, this would have been last year, at the UFO Congress, which takes place in Scottsdale each February. Right. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I remember I sat in, I made sure to sit in on all the uh, morning uh, experiencer sessions. Oh, yes. Yeah, I like. I enjoyed doing those. Yes, they were quite crowded. I was kind of surprised that they really pulled them in. They sure did. Every um, every day, there were more people. We had to keep pulling in extra chairs. So um, it was, you know, it was a nice experience for me. You have a group called Ciro, C-E-R-O, Ciro. correct? Mm-hmm. And right. Can, can you describe what that is? Well, um, I founded Ciro, uh, Close Encounter Resource Organization, 20 years ago, um, and it's mainly uh, for people who have had the abduction experience, uh, a place where they can come and speak to other people and feel comfortable and, um, you know, and, and, and really discuss what, what's on their mind without feeling that they're going to be ridiculed. And then just recently, uh, about a month ago, I started a new branch of Ciro which is called Ciro International, and uh, that's going to be open to the public where we're going to be bringing in speakers every other month starting in January. Our first guest speakers are um, will be Travis Walton, John Goulet, uh, and Steve Pierce, who uh, were in the truck that night that uh, they all saw the UFO. Yes, and I actually met very, very briefly one of the fellows um from that event because he was at the at the conference in February of this year. When, when right. I, yep. Hey, just here's a heads up on, on uh, how I've been running this uh, interview series that I've been doing. Um, the, the folks that listen to the show I, I consider are very uh, sophisticated in their knowledge and they will be familiar with you. I don't get that many hits actually on, my, on these interviews, but what uh, I feel like the people who do listen are the right people. I have to assume that a great many of them actually have had the abduction experience themselves. Oh, I say that, that uh, I know that a certain percentage do just because of the, uh, the comments that I get and the emails that I get. So what I'm planning to do is just put a link on the show notes, which will accompany the, the, uh, you know, the link to the podcast. I, I think I'll just link um, an interview you did, which I thought was quite good that you did with Mel Fabregas. Oh yes, I've I've done this show a couple times, which has been um, a, you know great experience. I really like Mel. Yeah, so so then you know so people can use that uh, to sort of get an introduction if they're unfamiliar, with, rather than or it seems like our time is limited and and uh, no need to you know ask the same questions that probably get asked over and over again at every interview you ever do. Right. Okay, that's fine. Uh, here the, and I also say that I'm doing these these series of interviews as a form of, this is a form of therapy for me. So, um, you know, the questions I'm asking are the, are the, the questions I want to ask, um, you know, for, for personal reasons. So, so, you know, every researcher seems to have some sort of questionnaire that, you know, a long checklist. I've seen some of them that have up to 80 questions. And uh, one of the questions that, that shows up routinely in most of these questionnaires, and, and that also resonates very strongly with me is um, do you feel a sense of mission? And does that come up in your research? Do people say that they, they are experiencing some sense of mission as a, 
part of the overall uh, phenomena? Yeah. Um, I, I, in fact, I just did a radio show last night, and um, just almost everyone that I've worked with, and we've discussed this in the Ciro meetings, the monthly meetings, that um, they're told that they have, they will have a job or a task to do, and um, when the time comes, they will know what that is and, and what to do. At the at the, this time, um, when people talk about that and when when they're being told this, they have no idea what they're supposed to do. But it seems like they're 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 going to be on some kind of mission, I guess if you want to call it that. Yes, and that I mean, so that's one of the things that's actually I find very challenging because I sense that sense of mission in myself, and it's it's a little bit maddening, I have to say. Well, have you have you experienced that um, where you recall being told? I have never experienced being told. Though mm-hmm. one of the things that's happening is, I'm, I'm, in a way, I'm acting like I'm on a mission, and I would I would say these interviews are are part of that that whole process. Mm-hmm. It could be. Yeah, that could be. Now, here I have spoken to a lot of women who talk about their own abduction experiences. And it seems that, and I'm very careful to to give this percentage, but it seems like all of them tell the same story. They all tell of odd issues with pregnancies and then uh, memories that involve uh, tiny babies or hybrid children. And... Am I like out of line for you know seeing? I mean, the pattern to me is is uh, uh, frighteningly high. Um, I, I'm shy to say 100 percent just because I all this research is you know in a way anecdotal that I'm doing because I, I haven't really put together a spreadsheet to figure this out. But it seems like it's 100 percent of the of the women tell me almost the exact same story. Well, yes, it it, it that's very common um, with women about uh, having pregnancies where they shouldn't be pregnant, they'd have no reason to be pregnant. Um, they and they have you know consequently they'll have um, additional abduction experiences where um, later on in the pregnancy, the fetus is removed, and then they'll have another abduction or series of experiences where they're shown children but that that also happens to the men that that not just the women the men are told they're taken up I'll say to the craft and they're told that you know they they're shown these these very strange looking children and they're told that these children are theirs yes and I've also heard that from a great many men and um, though it just seems that the percentage is much higher with the women it seems much more emotional with the women maybe I'm I'm uh, reading something into it that maybe isn't there. Um, well, yeah, women, it, it is very emotional, but uh, for the women, because of that motherly instinct that the um, aliens don't seem to have, um, but also I've seen many men become very emotional as well uh, when they're being told this, because it's, you know, it's it's very difficult for many people to understand. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it's funny because I have been, you know, as part of my own, uh, like trying to go down this road, trying to figure out my own experiences, I've like sought out psychics. And um, and I've been told uh, by the psychics that, you know, that I have had that experience of, you know, having 
what amount to you know the the, the hybrid child experience in mm-hmm. some other place. Um, I have no direct memory of it, so I don't trust that uh, completely. But it but uh, I I'm cautious to put too much credence into that. But I do take the the claims very very seriously that I hear from other folks. Well, it, it is very common, so I would not be surprised. Now, I've been doing research in a way just, uh, it only started about six years ago for me. And um, I, ha- I had had a set of life experiences that uh, certainly point to what quite probably is UFO abduction type stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Missing time. I had a very clear UFO sighting as a child. Um, when I was 30 years old, I saw five uh, entities like gray aliens standing in my yard. Um, mm-hmm. and I could tell these stories like it, like almost like campfire stories. Um, in 2006, I, I decided to look into these experiences. Like I realized they were always just sort of simmering there in the back. I would have been, um, 44 years old at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the act of looking into these, I, I have to say, it felt like the the bottom, like a trap door fell out from underneath me and I just plunged, you know, like it, it felt like, you know, I was shocked at the intensity of what, what I was, I was forced to, to contemplate, you know, forced to say this is, this might be a reality. Um, now the, the other thing that happened with this was that, um, I was flooded with intense synchronicities. And if I hadn't had the synchronicities, I may have been able to deny the the events. Does that make sense? I may have been able to deny, you know, these memories. I may have just brushed them off. They've some some felt a little dreamlike, and I could dismiss them as a dream. But it was the synchronicities that have forced me to to stay on this path and to keep on trying to figure out what happened in my life. Has have you seen that as a pattern at all in your research? I have. Yes, people do um, experience the synchronicities you know, very often, and, um, and, and, you know, they're forced to look, look at their experiences where, um, they were able to put it on the back burner before, but, you know, quite often when a, a person has their own children and their children are starting to talk about these strange occurrences, then the parent is forced to, then look into their own experiences so that they could help their child. Now, did you go undergo uh, hypnotic regression? I have tried three separate times, and I, you know, and uh, I tried it once with Leo Sprinkle, and I tried it once with Bud Hopkins, and I tried it once uh-huh. with Barbara Lamb. And I tell you, every time I was so nervous about about oh, uh-huh. what may appear that I was I was certainly not able to get into a relaxed state. Bud actually. Um, uh, you know, there was one event in particular, it was a missing time event that took place when I was 12 years old. And, uh, and I was with another boy and we were, you know, walking down a sidewalk, walking home from school. And, and, uh, you know, there was an odd flash. He later talked about seeing a UFO. I don't remember, I don't have any memory of seeing a UFO. I do remember a very odd flash in the sky that lit up the nighttime sky orange, but I was so nervous going into that. And, and in the, in the hypnotic regression, um, it felt like, like um, the only way I can describe it, it was it was as if the um, the pause button was pushed on the VCR, 
um, everything just was frozen. It stopped, and and I could not get beyond that moment. And Bud kind of like slapped me on the shoulder when he said goodbye to me after I left his his studio there, and kind of said, you know, I've seen some folks in my time that are blocked, and you are blocked. And um, and in a way, that was an odd bit of confirmation for me that he would be so, you know, clear on that. Oh yeah, that, that's definitely a block. Um, but uh, you know, once you get past that and if there's something there um if you if you actually did have an experience and 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 those those memories come forward um up to a conscious level you will you will be more relieved but it's very normal to be very blocked um and not want to go past that um, but if, you know, if you're ready to, uh, you should certainly pursue trying to look into that. Um, but if you're, you know, if you're not traumatized right now, if you're not suffering from PTSD and losing sleep and all, then, you know, I would say just put it aside for, for right now. Yeah, this is interesting because I, I, um, uh, I am suffering right now. Like, I, I've been pretty honest I've been very honest in this this whole series and uh and I am like dealing with something that is that is impacting my life in a negative way. I feel like I'm reclusive, I feel like I'm um you know, I my personality has changed since 2006 when I started looking into this. Um and and I have I've I've had issues with clinical depression since I was about 12 years old. And okay. um I actually had, I've been through a bunch of therapists, and but I actually had one therapist when I described all, you know, what I've been dealing with, what's going on in my life. She kind of looked at me and she, you could just see her saying like, well, she said it right out. She said, you know, you're, this sounds like trauma. This sounds like you've been dealing with trauma. Mm-hmm. And and I don't it have is. any events it's in my life. Post-traumatic stress disorder. But I don't have you any know, events in my life is. that would, that would point to that, except for perhaps this, this hidden set of memories. Yeah, well, you have bits and pieces of memory that that that's come up for you, and um, and you you haven't had a completely blank mind. Yes, I certainly have had bits and pieces. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what um, you know. People will. That's when they come to me when they have these bits and pieces and um, snapshots of memory, um, that's what they're bothered with is, you know, just as you mentioned previously, you know, was this a, just a, a dream? Um, you know, was I, you know, did something really happen? And they think about that for the longest time. But once you go through these sessions and, and all this comes forward, um, that depression goes away and, you know, you're, the person, a person is able to get on with their life. I've seen this in my um, almost 22 years of work through all my serial members. Okay, now I've been thinking about going through hypnotic regression again, attempting it again, and, and I'm very nervous about it. And, you know, like, and I've also been told, you know, there's like, there's kind of two camps out there. You know, the, there are some folks that have some strong opinions about uh, hypnosis and they, in no uncertain terms, have told me not to get hypnotized because, uh, you know, I'll just confabulate things or that memories will, 
will appear and that those won't be real memories and then I'll be walking around the rest of my life with these these memories that may not have any basis in reality at all. Well, I, I think uh, people, you know, may talk about um, hypnosis and will have um, false information about it. I like to dispel a lot of the myths about um, hypnosis and, um, or, yeah, you know, sure, a person can lie under hypnosis um, and there is confabulation that goes on, but it's not something that the person will do deliberately. It's something that the mind, the mind wants to place something there because the person is experiencing um, a memory or an experience, reliving it, and it doesn't make sense to them. So they'll they'll want to the mind will want to put something that does make sense to them there, you know, because there's no point of reference really for alien abduction. Well, give me an example of something that might be put in the, in place. Well, I mean, if they're, they're on the ship and they say, um, you know, there's, there's no furniture, you know, it's very, it's it's very stark and, um, you know, it it doesn't look like a normal room that we're used to. They'll, They'll want to put a, you know, a desk there. They want to put a you know chair there because it just, just, just doesn't make sense what they're what they're experiencing. Um, but you know, in all my years, I've never had anybody um, say that they've regretted doing the hypnosis because they have felt much relief afterwards because they're not no longer holding all this inside of them. And that's what causes the trauma. That's what causes the depression when everything is held inside. Okay. Um, yeah, this is good for me to hear because I mean, I've, I'm there's a there's a big part of me that's agnostic about you know how to proceed forward. Well, I wonder if that's the way to say it. You know, like I'm I'm certainly seeking. You know, like I'm looking at a lot of different options, and and mm-hmm. and it seems like I've. I tried hypnosis for a while and, you know, I basically was turned off by it. I was like, okay, that's not working. I'm just going to move past it. Uh, try to make sense of things another way. So perhaps, uh, yeah, perhaps I need to do this at one point or it would be helpful for me. Well, especially if you're still, you know, suffering from depression and, um, you know, you isolating yourself. Um, certainly those things do happen. People do feel that way. You know, because I've seen people, um, you know, in that position where uh, they don't know who to talk to and, you know, a lot of this doesn't make sense. And they're hoping that they're, they just made it up. They're hoping really that, you know, I'm, I must be crazy or delusional and I'll just get medication and it'll all go away. Um, but I've seen, you know, a, a lot of healing in people. Um, after they go through the sessions, when they attend the meetings, because they're able to to talk about this rather than hold it all in. Really, the people who talk about um, hypnosis the way you were describing have no idea what hypnosis is, what regression is. So you're going to get, you know, you talk to 20 people, you're going to get 20 different opinions. So you have to be careful with that. Well, as I proceed forward with all of this, I feel like I need to be careful. Um, hey, one of the things that I've seen in this 
and 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 it seems to be a pattern that is showing up recently. Maybe I'm I'm reading just my you know anecdotal interactions incorrectly, but but I'm seeing folks that feel that are dealing with a feeling to come forward, like they're compelled to come forward and share their experiences. And I get the sense that this is accelerating within the last few years. Have you seen this also, or am I am I imagining this? No, I've I've seen it where um, people feel it's time for them to to talk about their experiences, you know, come forward and um, and, and just let people know that that this has happened to them. Um, there seem the, the last, I guess, I think maybe the last two years, I've seen. Um, an acceleration of of people having experiences and people wanting to come forward to explore the experiences they've had um, all their life, you know, from childhood. And it's, it almost feels um, that there is an urgency. These people need to know. Uh, they'll call me and they, you know, they'll, or they'll email me and say, I need to, you know, your first available opening, I need to see you. And um, it seems it's been that this way the last two years. Oh, so that it seems so. So the last two years, it's accelerated, and you're saying you're seeing that more. Mm-hmm. Yes, I am. The last year, I'm seeing it more. Okay, so you and I are sort of experiencing the same thing. Where I have talked to mm-hmm. folks um, about that, and I'll just and I'll say that part of the reason I go down to the conference annually, the one in um, it used to be in Laughlin, Nevada, and now it's in Scottsdale, Arizona, is that you know I find I just need the camaraderie. Of of people yeah. who who sh- either share the experience or are at least open minded to the experience, and that's that's what uh, my serial members have experienced through the years of coming together at the monthly meetings, and they look forward to it because they get to talk about what happened to them. Uh, where as opposed to, I have members who can't even talk to their spouses about it; they can't talk about it at work. Um, they, they have to be very careful who they discuss this with, so they know when they come to a meeting, they're free to talk about whatever is on their mind, and that's where the relief comes. And in a way that, that you know, so that's very much what I feel when I go to these conferences, and and also, um, in a way, that's part of the reason I'm doing this online series because I've had people, you know, thank me for being for doing this this show in the format that I have been doing it, where you know, like I'm coming from a first person seeker i guess and they um you know i i've brought solace to someone and i once that ha- once i realized that i felt like i felt like i had a responsibility right exactly that's how i felt um you know when i started zero that it just you know it, each year it it grew and grew and you know it's been 20 years now so um you know there's i had to keep i had to keep going with it Okay, now I want to ask something really specific here. Um, some of my experiences have had a sort of dream-like quality to them. It's not like a normal dream, and and some of them have actually taken place in a waking state. the The sensation is entirely different than than anything else that I've ever experienced. It would be it's very hard to articulate. Um, it's weirdly quiet, and I am and and, and reality itself seems more vivid if that makes sense. It, because it's sort of dreamlike, it allowed me to sort of dismiss these memories outright. Um, but have you heard anyone else describe this sensation uh, in your research? Well, they, you know, they, they say 
you know, it, it felt like a dream, but it was um, much more vivid, very vivid, where they, they knew when they were in it that it really wasn't a dream. Yeah, no, I've made an effort to ask folks this question, and uh, mm-hmm. and I think I may have even asked it aloud in the in the um, experiencer group last or this February, this February of two thousand and twelve, and then a bunch of people came up to me and shared their stories, um, uh-huh. and and they all sort of said the same thing. It made it very hard to trust the memory as as a, some form of reality. Sure. Oh, yeah. It, it just except that uh, when they describe it, they say it, it was it was very vivid. Yeah, almost hyper vivid, almost like the colors were more enhanced, almost like, um, like, Mm -hmm. you know, as if the photograph itself was, you know, crystal clear. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, So here's, this is another thing that that has been bothered me, and I've never gotten a good answer to this one. Um, Some people who have these experiences will tell of beautiful angelic visitors with that uh, radiate love. And, uh, and it's beautiful what they share. It's very angelic. Uh, and others will tell of like cold-hearted evil doctors. You know, the experience is absolutely terrifying. Why is there this divergence in people's experiences? Well, most likely because there are many, many different types of beings out there. Um, you know, we're, we're certainly not dealing with just one type uh, with with one agenda, just like there's so many, how many people do we have here on, on this earth? And everybody, you know, some people are evil, you know, some people are wonderful and kind. Um, you know, they, these are, these are different beings. Um, even when the, the person has taken on the craft, um, they, they're abducted by usually the very small, um, gray beans with the large eyes and then they go on the craft and then they see different types. They'll see a taller uh, bean that looks like the grays, but they're taller. They seem to be more in charge and then they'll describe another type. They'll describe the praying mantis type. Um, They'll describe the ones that look very human um, on their, on the, on the craft. So there's, there's many different types. Um, Certainly the ones that, take people and do examinations, you know, they have their own agenda. Um, there are probably many, um, you know, angelic beings that will, you know, maybe give people information. Whether that information can be trusted, you know, we don't know. Um, you know, we could certainly be told so many things, but we don't know if this is truly um you know, the correct information, whatever it is. Um, but I don't doubt that there's, uh, you know, everybody wants to know, is are they good? Are they bad? Are they evil? You know, it's not, it's not all that black and white. Do people have both the experiences? Do they have the experience of both the, um, the, the terror and the, the angelic ones? I mean, do, can they have a full range of experiences in a lifetime? Oh, sure. Um, People have had, um, of course, the you know the frightening part of all this is when they've been taken originally. I mean, they they don't know what happened to them. They're it's frightening because they're being taken out of their normal environment. They're taken somewhere else, and you know they don't know where they are or what's going to happen to them. Um, then later on, they they may encounter a, a different type of being um, who you know 
doesn't do examinations at all. Um, it just wants uh, some type of communication. But it seems that once the fear, um, the fear is finally gone when they realize, okay, they've had these experiences um, and intellectually built, they know I'm okay, I was brought back, I'm fine. Once they get past that fear, it seems that they're more open to um, more communication with the different types of beings. Okay, I have experienced a profound sense of terror. It was, it was, it was. It's almost impossible to describe. Um, and I've, I've heard other people talk about this. It felt like I was just. I was fully awake. I was absolutely 100% conscious. I was in a tent with someone else. We both experienced this this sensation, and we both um, describe it the same way. And the only way I can describe it, it almost felt synthetic. It almost felt like it was being projected in a way that that you know just turned the knob you know higher than I realized it could ever go. Like the fear knob was on 11, basically on a one to ten scale. Um, have you heard people report this in your research? Um, terror? Well, like like terror beyond any rational kind of terror, yeah. Oh, sure, absolutely. All the time. Okay. And that's why they, they finally want to look into it, and that's why they come to me. You know, the people that, that feel or claim that they've had all good experiences and it's been wonderful, um, they, they don't come to, to someone like me who does my work because they, they're not traumatized. They feel they're not traumatized. But it's the people who um, have been very fearful and are not able to really get on with a normal life. Those are the ones that will seek help. Okay. Okay. Hey, do people report owls as part of their experience? Yes. And that, that's part of the screen memory. Okay, and I, so yeah, I've I've been exploring this, and I've certainly read plenty of stories of the of the screen memory. Now, here's my experience: I have been dealing with seeing real owls, even in the moment. I kind of do a double check in myself, and like this is not any kind of screen memory thing. This is, it seems to be part of this overall phenomena. And I'll say the owls started appearing in 2006, right when I started looking into this. Has has anyone reported that kind of thing? Um. Yes, it's been uh, the seeing owls, um, and I wouldn't say every case, but uh, you know, through my work the, through the years, I have um, had people tell me that um, they, you know, they've seen owls. Some uh, a couple of people told me they have a, a terrible fear of owls um, that they couldn't understand. Yeah, well, I could see how that could play in, you know, just a large-eyed, you know, sort of nocturnal animal would be mm -hmm. um, certainly associated. I know that, uh, I mean, Whitley Strieber talked about he had a fear of a, a cat clock, you know, those little cat clocks that have a black cat with their moving eyes? Yes, uh-huh. Yeah, he wrote yes. about the fact that he had an irrational fear of those clocks as a boy. Oh, right, okay. That makes sense. So here's, like, there's, I'm speaking to folks, the thing that I'm sort of drawn to um, is the high strangeness of the phenomena. And these stories emerge from the abductees that um, don't seem to be part of like the standard abduction narrative, if you know what I mean. Like it's, it's not part of being taken on board a ship and given a medical exam or, you know, communicating with beings that aren't human. Something else is emerging. And, and for me, 
I'm just sort of forced to conclude that there's something more complex going on than just uh, people being abducted by little scientists in a metal spaceship. You know, there's a spiritual component to this. Uh, there's a consciousness component and probably even a soul component to this. Have you, you know, found that in your work also? Or am I, um, do, you, do you get what I'm asking? Well, um, when they're, during during the course of their experiencing, they're, they're shown um, many times pictures of devastation, of, you know, terrible um, earthquakes and, you know, oh, they talk about tsunamis and, and they're showing these images. For what reason? We're not sure yet. Are they showing them the future? Um, they're also told that, you know, we as a, as a human race must change our ways and become um, more spiritual to be able to save ourselves and save our planet. You know, things like that. So I'm not sure exactly what you mean, but, you know, they, they have been told um, those uh, typical things in an experience. Um, yeah, I guess what I was, I mean, what I've, what I've basically been hearing from folks and people have been, you know, you know, I've talked to a lot of folks on the phone and then, you know, a lot of people have contacted me through this and I've heard some of the strangest stories that don't have anything to do with the UFO phenomena. I mean, people talk about poltergeist activity in their house. They talk about suddenly becoming psychic. In, and I guess that's more where I'm, what I'm asking. Oh, it, um, yeah, that psychic uh, component, people do, because whether they're, they were psychic before, you know, their experience, or were they, did they become psychic as a result of their experience? We don't know really, I mean, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg. But I would say um, most of my serial members are very highly psychic. And as far as the poltergeist activity or uh, paranormal activity, it seems that there's a very fine line of uh, people who've had the abduction experience will also have paranormal-type experiences in their home. It's almost as if they, they, this other door was opened, um, and maybe the veil is very thin between the two experiences, but they will have other paranormal type experiences. Okay, yeah, that's that's kind of what I was getting at in the sense that that is um, fascinating to me because it because that that veil that thinning veil is um, is almost the stuff of mythology in a way. Do you know what I'm saying? Where there's almost like a uh, uh, like once that you know passing through that veil, then then it seems like you can access almost you know, different things. And, and I'm, you know, it's interesting since looking into this, I have had what I call psychic flashes uh, where I will just intuitively just know something and literally a voice in my head will declare it to me and it proves to be true. I can't control it. I don't understand it, but, but that's something I've definitely experienced. Yeah. That, see, that's very, um, that's very typical. That's not in the unusual um, area that's very typical of people experiencing the paranormal activities as well as the abduction and they're two different things I mean you could really tell uh, which one is the paranormal say with spirits and which one is um, an abduction experience 
Yeah. Now, so you, you mentioned earlier, like that, which came first, the chicken or the egg. So what you're, what you're implying is that, um, and I'm just going to be, use a simplistic sort of visual aid here where, you know, the, the beings are flying around in their, their flying saucer and they have some ability to sense, uh, who is psychic. And then they, they say, okay, let's get that one. Um, and they have reasons for getting that one. Um, as opposed to the interaction with the aliens, the abduction event would then, you know, open up some sort of a locked door that that then allows the the abductee to be psychic as a as a response to the the actual abduction experience. It could be, it could very well happen that way. I know that um, I've spoken to people who've had um, near death experiences. Um, you know, experience very terrible, uh, life-threatening accidents, and when they recovered, they they were very, very psychic. Yes, and I've heard that also, and I've also heard that um, you know, I've actually spoken to more than one person who is sort of now uh, actively playing the role of shaman, and they have had a, a near-death experience in their youth. Yes, um, so. You know, something obviously must have opened up uh, when they when they crossed that you know um, that veil went went to the next plane and came back. They they seem to have opened up, um, or something or someone opened up their abilities. Yes, and that's what I'm saying is like there's a spiritual component to this. There's a consciousness component to this. Um, because the psychic thing is is uh, is to me just fascinating, mm-hmm. and 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 then it shows up in channeling. It shows up in people who are healing. I, I've I've talked to a number of people in the last literally the last six months who um you know told me that they they felt compelled to study Reiki. Yes, uh huh. The healing aspect of it as well. Yes, they become healers. Okay. Now, um, one of the things that that I found is that there's some of the people will become very uh, their outlook will change. They'll become very spiritual in sort of a love and light way. They'll take on a very new agey aspect or a new agey outlook to to how they frame their experiences. Um, I mean, you live in California, you must know what I mean here. But there's there's a lot of stuff about the Ashtar Command and the Galactic Brotherhood. Now I hear all these terms and I I do I try to follow them and I and I try to make sense of them, but but I'm cautious and i know that some researchers will uh, ignore these folks actually ignore them with contempt in a way i know there's some some nuts and bolts researchers that are you know quite pained by the people who have this new agey uh, outlook and and the way they present themselves um but i but i've found that that's part of the overall phenomena and i and i just think it's it's would do a disservice to ignore it even if you don't agree with it um not everyone. Um, oh no! And, and just let me—I'm sorry, I didn't mean everyone. But I, but there's a there's a percentage. I don't yeah. know what it would be. It's a small percentage, yeah. but it's very real percentage. Um, yeah, it's been you know um, those groups of people certainly have been been there. I mean, I've known about what the Ashtar Command, um, and there was another group. I can't remember the name since I started my work. You know, 21 years ago, um, I I. I don't discount them. I just feel okay. You know, they this is what they believe in, and this is what they do. And I, 
um, but I don't have much contact with them because I don't really need to. They don't come to me for um, any type of help or counseling because, you know, they feel they're getting all of the answers from their space brothers. Um, But certainly we cannot, unfortunately, um, in our mainstream, in our mainstream presenting this to the media and to the general public, it really uh, does not serve us well if people um, in those groups, and it's almost to me, uh, they become um, like a cult. Oh, yeah. To present that to the general public because the general public um, will and have discounted them. So, um, you know, we, we have to be very careful. And I think that uh, a lot of nuts and bolts researchers who have also, you know, been my friends and colleagues, it's un- I can understand them because um, it, it seems like we could take 10 steps forward and then something like that comes up and and when, you know, say the film crews come in to these conferences and who are the people that they they usually, they don't go to the nuts and bolts researcher, they'll go to these groups. Um, and then it feels like we've slid down again, you know, five notches. So, um, you know, it really is difficult um, because there's so many different components um, in in this field and, I think some people go uh, too far one way um, when we really have to be level-headed about all of this. Yes, and I guess in a way, what I'm saying is like for me, I'm been, I've, I've made an effort to reach out and do some interviews with folks that might fall into the more um, you know love and light crowd, and I do that on purpose just because I feel like um, you know to me that's part of the overall phenomena, and I don't want to I don't want to ignore it. Um, but I try to balance it out with the, the other mm-hmm. types of research I'm doing. So you said something in there. Now, so there's a public face that I, obviously you must be aware of. And I've, I remember I, I was I felt so blessed to work with Bud Hopkins for a while. And um, and he he was very articulate about this, too. There's a public face to this that you, that you you must do. I don't know how many interviews you must do a year. It's probably a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And is there something as far as, is there like a private set of conclusions that you have? I guess this is sort of a, I, I'm, I'm, I'm prying a little bit here, um, that tells you something different or, or something more extreme than what you're, what you're sharing in, a, in, in publicly? No, I, you know, when you're, when you're presenting publicly, um, you know, I've been on several over the years on several news, um, shows, um, where they've interviewed me briefly. Well, you can't when you're when you're doing a, a brief interview and you're and this is mainstream media, you know, like ABC, NBC, MSNBC. Um, you can't really go into a lot of detail because this is so. What when the when you're researching it, it's so complex, as you know, um, that the general public really wouldn't understand it if all of a sudden I, you know, in a, in a, in a brief interview, I came out and said, Oh yes, the women are being impregnated and they're being shown hybrid children. You know, I keep it on the level where, um, yes, we have very strange craft flying around that we can't identify and people feel that they've had contact with, um, with the pilots of this, of these craft. 
uh, you know, you just have to keep it uh, where where you're hoping that the the average person out there listening will think, well, gee, maybe I should start looking up in the sky, um, you know, because people are so used to, the, you know, they live in their box yeah. and they don't go outside of them. They go, they get up, they go to work, you know, they come back and, you know, this is way, way outside of, um, of their comfort zone. So, um, and it depends on who I interview with, um, you know, but I have to go where the, I have to talk about and go where the research takes me. And for the last 21 years, it's taking me to, um, I feel that the central component to the abductions is the, their hybridization program. That's why everybody experiences it. It's very, it's very, very important to them. Yes. And, and it is the conclude. I mean, whatever, like going down that Avenue and trying to conclude something is, is, I mean, it's a, that's a scary thing to, to contemplate that this mm-hmm. is real. Right. Exactly. And so you have to, you know, um, my, I feel my job and I have felt my job for a long time is to capture the attention of the average person out there of, um, you know, people who just don't look up in the sky in they take everything um, at face value for what they're told. They're told by their government these things don't exist, so okay, they accept it. But, you know, I feel my job is to get them to start thinking for themselves and realize that there are millions of people having this very strange experience, and it's somebody that they may know because it's very widespread. Yeah. Um, so that's why, you know, I I choose my words carefully depending on who who I'm doing the interview with. Okay. Well, now when I started the interview, I wanted to make it clear that this pretty sophisticated uh, audience that listens to these, right. um, and I'll say just it's it's very challenging because you know society, the government, uh, pop culture says this is not real. Um, if I just the if I just went to the one experience which I had when I was 12 years old of seeing a very clear UFO in the sky, I mean that one experience of the many I've had, um, in a way, alienates me from the rest of the population because I uh, I had a direct sighting I'm a direct witness of something that society tells me is impossible, mm-hmm. and, and that is it's a very lonely feeling. Well, that's, that's exactly, that's why people, um, they feel so isolated, and that's why I felt it necessary to establish zero 20 years ago, because people were leaving my office, and they, they really had no one to talk to, and now they get together, and with other like-minded people, you know, they really become like family to each other. Yes, and I've, I've made some very close friends in this small little circle and and I feel very blessed that that I have been able to connect so well with some folks. Hey, now there's a term that gets thrown around and it's the uh, star seeds and the implication is that that somehow these people, these abductees had a a different life that they that they came to this earth and reincarnated here uh for a role to play. Um mm-hmm. have has this come up in your research? 
I um yeah, we we've discussed it. Some people have have told me that they feel that they're um they are um hybrids. And but you know, we we still we have to take it a step further and we're going to try to do some uh more testing, some more DNA testing. Uh, blood tests for people that make these claims, um, you know, I think it's important to to substantiate um, the claims and because they're, you know, if, you, if you're going to go out and you're going to claim something, you really need to have um, material to back it up. Yes, yeah, and that's actually one of the things that, you know, like I, I don't have much material to back up my sightings and my experiences. Um, is there a pattern for the folks that claim to be um, hybrids themselves? Well, I've, I haven't come across, um, you know, a great number of people that have said they're hybrids. Um, it's mainly people that have had experiences. Um, they, they certainly feel different. They are the ones that have had children they feel that their children are um, highly intelligent uh, for their age. In other words, this has been happening for several years. And, um, you know, what might happen is that the DNA may be manipulated by the aliens, and while a woman is pregnant, that they may be manipulating um, the fetus uh, in utero. So, because you know, people do feel different. They feel they are psychic. Uh, they they feel they do not fit in with um, with the rest of society. Uh, they can't relate to the rest of society. So, um, you know, they they do they do feel very different from anyone else. Um, but I've I've only had a few people that have come actually come up to me and say I'm a hybrid. And this could very well be because, you know, these hybrids have to go somewhere um, and people feel that they've come across hybrids here on Earth. So um, I remember Bud talked about that for a while as well as David Jacobs. And um, and I'm, I'm having people tell me I think I may have come across a, someone who's not quite human. Um, so that's another very, you know, another step uh, in a different direction that we're going because really when you think about it, logically, uh, these hybrids, babies grow up and where are they? Exactly. No, and I, and I have heard many stories of people, you know, meeting very odd, uh, you know, people that just barely blend in or that they don't blend in and they don't understand why nobody else notices them except them, the, the individual. Right, exactly. So, um, yeah, it just, uh, you know, it th this whole phenomenon, we really, um, when we try to get some answers, we really come out with more questions. Um, so, we, you know, we're still trying to do all the testing and um, if we get hot, would we get the implants we try to get them analyzed and but everything everything takes funding um you know so but we're you know we're hoping to, to to keep going with that to keep analyzing and testing and 
because people, you know, the general public, the normal person out there um, are, you know, mainstream scientists. They always want uh, tangible evidence. We want it too, definitely. Yes, and one of the things that in a way is is its own form of evidence is just the the vast numbers of people who are coming forward with this. Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's, or or yeah. showing up at your office maybe as opposed to coming out forward publicly. Oh, yes. It, it, since last, since a year ago, almost a year ago, January of this this year, um, I had people calling me and wanting, as I mentioned before, wanting the first available appointment. Uh, it was almost like they felt an urgency. They needed to to find out. They needed to look into their experiences. And um, it's, I was amazed um, at how many people I started getting from just the beginning of the year. We're usually December, January, usually a little bit slow because of the holidays and people are trying to get back on the normal track. Um, that's when, when those calls start coming in. And it's been like that basically the entire year. Wow. Hey, it's um, 3 o'clock for you. We've been at it a full hour. Yeah, we should wrap this up. Okay. Okay. Thank you for, you know, for doing this interview. I think it's important to, to put all the information out there as much as we can. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it was kind of, it's one, but this one of the things I found is that, I mean, one hour is it is barely enough time to, you just, you're just barely scratching the surface. I mean, right at the end there, you brought up the implant issue. You brought up the research you were right. doing as far as trying to document this stuff. And, and those are the follow-up questions I I can't ask. So hopefully we'll, I'll have you on again. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Mike. Okay. And I will see you um, in a few months in uh, Scottsdale. Yes. Yes. It'll be here before we know it. So have a a very nice holiday. Okay. Nice to talk to you. I'll I'll look, I look forward to talking again soon. Thank you, Mike. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Mike. I'm I'm adding a little bit uh, after the interview here. I I wanted to share something. Uh, this was an interaction I had with a therapist. Uh, this I'm I'm looking back at a blog post dated Saturday, September seventeenth, two thousand and eleven. So a little over a year ago. Um, now, I have uh, been very pretty open on this this whole format that these issues are challenging. And I've also been very open with my history of clinical depression. Uh, I went to a therapist, a first time visiting a therapist in, in my little town here. And, um, you know, the very first visit, you know, you sort of go through the process of, you know, why are you here? And I sat and talked with her and explained what had been going on. And I, and I made it very clear that part of the reason I was, was, was seeking out a therapist was because I had been dealing with um, what quite possibly might be UFO abduction. Um, she sat there very calmly, listened to what I had to say. Uh, we, you know, filled up the hour. I made an appointment for the next week to come back and visit her. And when I did, uh, a week later, uh, before I even had a chance to sit down, um, she, in a very serious tone, said, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this, and I'm wondering, have you ever considered going on any psychotic medication? And I, I was a little bit shocked, and I, and I said, no, I haven't. Um, she then said, you know, that, that, her, that she thought it was a good idea 
because of my my uh, my possible conclusion that part of my issue might be based on the UFO abduction phenomena. Uh, uh, it was a little bit shocking that I would sit with someone for, you know, probably 50 minutes, and then she would uh, be very eager to prescribe uh, very strong uh, antipsychotic medication uh, that 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 uh, that made my heart sink. Not so much that I felt I needed it because because I I feel like I'm dealing with this and approaching this subject as skeptical and at the same time as honestly as I can. Uh, so um, you know whatever it was an odd feeling sitting in that second meeting with a therapist and um, knowing full well that I was never coming back. Um, now that that's a pretty bleak story, but I I felt I I felt I should add it as a as sort of a, a you know a postscript to this interview where uh, you know another therapist who is not only very open with the 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 possibility of this as a reality, uh, she is you know actively researching this and um, and having spoken to her directly. And having watched her interact with, with people, she is, I would say, less a researcher and more of a therapist. Um, she's very much focused on helping people. This, this is, uh, as you can imagine, uh, a very challenging set of, of uh, issues to try to integrate. Um, you know, quite honestly, it. Um, it it will make your brain hurt to try to 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 see this as a reality uh, as a as a as a as a something real um that that is very difficult for me to grasp i can i can dance around it in a theoretical way i can speculate on things but when it comes time to saying you know this is real i i'm stuck boy that that is a that is a big leap for me even though I I recognize, you know, the memories and the patterns, not only in myself, but in what other folks have shared, and certainly in the research that I've done. Uh, th- there, that was a long-winded uh, way to uh, sort of uh, end that interview. Anyway, um, if you've made it this far, thank you so much. Bye now. <laughs>